John chapter 6 is where we're going to be. As you head this direction, um, I'm going to read you something from Exodus chapter 3. So you're going to John 6. Probably familiar with uh, this particular uh, story, a lot of you would be. In Exodus 3, um, Moses is having a dialogue with God. And verse 13 says, Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, Well, what's his name? Who shall I, what shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now this, this would have been a, or it still is, a significant passage of scripture if you, if you are an Israelite, if you are Jewish, this, like you know this, you have memorized this, you have, this story has been passed down and passed down and passed down. This is uh, like one of the things about, about our Jewish brethren is they, they are so good at uh, keeping those narratives going and teaching the children the stories and, and like they're, they're just so good at it. And so this is really significant because this is God identifying himself as God. And uh, in other words, he's saying, I'm, I'm the one, like this is the point where he identifies himself and this God would be the one that all the mighty acts that would follow would be attributed to. He would be the one to free them from Egyptian slavery. He would be the one to lead them into the promised land. He would be the one to bring all the crazy plagues. Like he would be, he would be the one that everything would get attributed to. And in this passage, he's telling them his name. And a part of that is he uses really specific language of saying, I am, which means I am. <laughs> I, I will be. Like he, this is an identity statement for him. So we jump to the New Testament. Jesus uses the same, like the same words. And he uses them very, in really cool ways in the book of John. And sometimes he's really like, it's very like absolute and concrete. Like in John 8, he tells them, uh, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And the language that he's using there is the, is, it's the same exact language as Exodus 3. And he's a very strategic man, our Jesus is. And so this is very much on purpose that he's using the same, the same thing. But he also uses that same terminology in some metaphors throughout the book of John. He says, I'm the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the true vine. In other words, when he's... Jesus is doing this, like, this thing that he has come to do. Uh, a part of this is that he's telling them, I am the God of Israel who spoke to Moses in Exodus 3. I'm the one who freed your ancestors from slavery. I'm the one that brought the plagues to do that. I'm the one that led them uh, through the wilderness. I'm the one that led them to the promised land. I'm the one that established them. I'm the one, I'm the one in the, in the Holy of Holies. Like I'm, it's me. And his use of that language on purpose, uh, obviously went over, uh, like gangbusters because right after he told them, 
in, in verse uh, 58 of chapter 8, it says, Truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. The next verse says, So they picked up stones to throw at him, and Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So he, he uses this language, and he's like, Hey, the God of your fathers is in your midst. And they were like, oh yeah, cool. Uh, can you hand me that rock right there? We're about to pummel you, you know? It says that Jesus had to hide. Can you imagine that the creator of the universe is like, oh, I need a good hiding place, you know? It did not go over very well. This was considered a blasphemous thing. For him to claim deity and to use those words, this was sacred. This was, this was not ground that you would tread upon very lightly. But Jesus was really not all that concerned with people's reactions. You know, we've kind of seen that trend with him where he's like, ah, you know, throw rocks at me, that's fine. I'm really good at hiding because I made everything, so I know where to hide. And uh, he doesn't really care about that. And so, uh, because he's, he's establishing, he's using, he's saying, making these identity statements throughout the book of John. And so what we're going to do through Lent is we're going to go through those seven metaphors that he uses to talk about who he is. And so much of the time, especially, especially in our journey through the gospel of Mark, we, we look at what he does and it's so important. Everything he does is important, but for our journey through Lent, we're going to look at who he is. What we, when we understand who he is, it makes what he does. It changes what he does. It reframes it. And so we're going to go through those seven metaphors and like any decent restaurant, we're going to start with bread. So John chapter 6, he talks about bread. And bread is uh, something that was really not as common in this part of the world uh, as it is for us right now. Bread was, it was treasured, you know, sacred. It was, uh, there, a lot of their diet revolved around having, having those, like, those grains baked and all that kind of stuff to eat. It wasn't just a pleasure, a pleasurable thing. You know, we all, we all know the restaurants in town that have the awesome bread, you know. It wasn't like one of those things. This was a, 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 a sustenance thing. This was, this was deeper than that for them. And so, in John chapter 6, the beginning of the chapter, uh, just a little context, he's just fed the 5,000. Um, and so he does this, this miracle with bread and fish. And then he, uh, his disciples take off on a boat. And then he walks on the water to catch up with them. They end up on the other side of the lake. Uh, they're in Capernaum. And the crowds come and they follow him. And so we pick up, uh, after the miracle, the very people that he had just fed have tracked him down. And they have come to him. And this is, this is the interaction that we see. Start at verse 25. When they, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking, you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Huh. That, Jesus is the best, but sometimes you're like, man... He's like, you don't want me. You just want what I can do for you. You just see me as a source for another meal. You're, in our terms, he'd say, you're just using me, right? That's why you're here. It's not because you picked up on what was going on with the miracle. 
Now that right there is like a, ser- a sermon in, its, in and of itself, and I'm not going to give you a sermon in that world, but that one's worth coming back to later on. In terms of what's, what's motivating me, you know, when I come to the Lord, is it because of who he is or is it because of what he can do for me? That's for you for later. All right. But the thing is, what he's, what he's getting at, and he's going to expand upon it in just a minute, is that they were, they were missing the point of the miracle, of the signs and the wonders and the things that they had, that they had witnessed. They were missing the point. Um, because all those things are just, they're, they're signposts, you know. They're, they're pointing to something greater. But the people were just focused on the sign, you know. Like, how many, let's quick change the subject. Uh, if you are, if you, if we were to categorize people into dog people and cat people, how many of you are dog people? Let's say I'm a dog person. Okay, Awesome. How many, how many of you are cat people? Okay. Now, I, myself, am a dog person. And uh, I'm not crazy about cats. But I'm, if, you tell, if you tell a dog person, like, oh, I'm not really into dogs, they're like, oh, man, that's sad. You know, but more for me, I guess. You know, that's fine. If you tell a cat person that you're not into cats, like, it, it's, it's the most offensive thing in the world to them sometimes, you know? So to all my cat friends... Uh, it's fine. Cats are, cats are cool. You know, uh, let's talk about how awesome dogs are for a second though. Um, dogs, dogs are, are so, they have all these like cool universal things about them. You know, like they, uh, they will, because of their instinct and all their, you know, background and everything, like before they lay down, they'll, they'll do what? They'll like turn in a circle, right? They all do it. No one taught them to do it. It's just there. They know how to do that. Um, whenever like the, all dogs hate the vacuum cleaner, Right. <laughs> Does anybody's dog want to like ride on the vacuum cleaner? No, they're all scared of it for some reason. Um, when a dog gets really like angry or worked up, especially the short haired ones, like the hair all just down the back of their spine, like sticks up like a mohawk, you know, I don't know what that is with that, but it's awesome. And I know not to go near one that's doing that. Um, but one of the things that's also universal about dogs is if you try to, if you try to, if you're like throwing the ball with the dog and the dog kind of loses track of the ball and the ball's over there and you're like, the ball's right there. What's the dog looking at? Your hand. And that, that dog is locked in on your hand like, what are we about to do? I'm here. I'm ready. Let's do this. But like, no, the ball, it's over there. It's like 10 feet over there. And it's just going, you know? <laughs> That's what was happening here in a, in a very strange comparison. Is Jesus is doing these miracles and he's like, hey, look at this. This is about God. And they're looking at his hands, you know? They're looking at the loaves and the fish and be like, we need more bread. We need more f- fish. We need more. He heals someone that's blind and they're like, cool, let's go find some more people that aren't blind. And there's nothing evil or sinister about that, but they're missing the, like somebody needs to be like, hang on just a second. That guy just made some mud and put it on somebody's eyes and wiped away and they could see again. Who is this guy? And instead of recognizing he's the one that has been sent from heaven, they're focused on the, on the, like what Jesus can do for them instead of on who he is. And so he just calls them on it. He's like, you're just really here for more bread, aren't you? So look at the next verse, 27. 
It says, do not work for, <clears throat> for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. He says, You guys are are so focused on these temporary things, and yet God has something eternal for you that he's sending. And their default, because this is the culture that they lived in, is they're like, cool, what do we have to do to get it? What do we have to do to earn it? What are the steps? What are the rules? What are, like, how do, how do I know? Tell me all the things. And he's like, you want to know what the, what the work of God looks like? It's to, it's to believe that God has really done this. It's to believe that God has sent someone to you. It's to believe that God himself has come to you. I was reading a a book that someone wrote about these I am statements. I was going through and they were just really kind of talking about the, just that idea of like how focused they were on the temporary. And here Jesus is offering them something permanent, but they, they really couldn't understand it. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I told this story that was that was so good to me that I had to I had to go and fact check it because I didn't trust the book. I was like, "How have I not heard this? Maybe you've heard this. This was new to me." He said that in uh, that after World War II was over with, um, there was a there was a massive crisis in terms of, of there were uh, orphans all over the world whose parents were killed in the war, and so um, <clears throat> they were trying to figure out, like, how are we going to take care of all these children? And, uh, and so they got, they figured out how to do that well. They were cared for well. But there's a problem in that, in that the children weren't sleeping at night. They, um, they were fed and all that. They were, everything was fine. But for some reason at night, they, they, would, they were just very restless. And so they brought in psychiatrists and different people to try to figure it out. Someone said, let's try this. When, you, when we put them to bed, let's, uh, let's also give them, let's give them a piece of bread. Like tuck them in, give them a piece, piece of bread, and, you, and just tell them, not, tell them not to eat it, but to just hold on to it. And the kids started sleeping through the night. Because they figured out, they, were, they, had, they, they had been so, such a traumatic experience to them that these children had learned that they couldn't count on having something for the next day. And they were anxious and worried and fearful and, and, and just in survival mode way before anyone should have to figure out how to survive. And so, but when they had the bread, they, they would know, at least I'll have something in the morning, you know. And it's so similar to us in the sense that we, um, we can become so obsessed with these temporary things that, that we, we become anxious from day to day to day to day because we're so, like, blinders on, head down, just kind of barreling through life. And Jesus is, is trying to get through to them and to us, either, either by, by the first time we realize it or just by reminder that he has given us something that is permanent in himself. 
Like we, we will have something tomorrow because he, he doesn't change. He doesn't go away. He doesn't, he doesn't decline. He doesn't vanish. He doesn't get distracted. Like he, he is, he is, I am. And so Jesus like lays this all out there for them. And they say to him, look at verse 30. They said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? And, and I kind of feel like this is coming from a place of like, hey, what you're telling us is too good to be true. What you're telling us is that if we really do all hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're telling us that there is a, a, like a permanent food source for us and not so sure about that. So how are we going to know? So they're like, well, tell us what sign do you do? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So he's referencing something from their heritage that they would all know. The Israelites are are traveling and they have nothing to eat. And so God provides this flaky bread-like stuff on the ground in the mornings, which sounds kind of gross. And it apparently didn't taste great, which they found room to complain about, which is interesting. but, uh, But they could eat it and it would sustain them. And it was there every morning, you know. And so this bread from heaven was called manna. And so they're referencing it. And, and so it's like they're, they're starting to kind of understand like, oh, okay, you're, you're, saying that, you're saying these things and you're saying that uh, somehow you're tied to all this. But the only relevant point we can think of is this bread from heaven that our forefathers ate. And Jesus says, yeah, that, that was a thing. That was then. And that was important. But it's almost like he's telling them, you know, manna, manna didn't give them life. Manna was temporary. Manna, manna was the food that perishes that I've just not, I've told you is, is that's not the investment of your life. Manna is, is not the thing to hold on to. The provider of the manna was the one to hold on to. And so manna came from heaven to keep them physically alive for another day. But Jesus is saying, I've come from heaven to keep you spiritually alive forever. Like there's a, there's a different, there's like this huge difference and you're so focused on the material world that you have to, you have to step out of that just for a second and say, does God want to provide for, for you so that you can live day to day to day with like with the, the food and the nourishment that you need? Absolutely. He does. But is his, is his priority keeping you alive spiritually forever? Yes. Absolutely. And his provision and all those temporary things, those are all signposts. Those are all him pointing to something greater. And if we end up focusing on his hand, we're kind of like our dogs. (laughs) And he's saying, no, this is supposed to point us beyond that. And so they're asking him, so what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? 
So he describes this scenario of, of God sending bread from heaven. And so verse 34 is their response. They say, sir, give us this bread always. Like if you can give us bread, whether it's, you know, and they might not even understand what they're saying, but let's, let's, let's say that they were, they were tracking along with it. If you can give us spiritual bread that will quench our hungering and thir- thirsting for righteousness, the fact that we were all created to know God. If you can find a solution to that, give us that bread all, all the time, all the time, all the time. And Jesus says to them, verse 35, I am the bread of life. I am. He uses those words. I am. Would have brought them to Exodus 3. Said, I, I am standing in your midst, the same God who did all that. But I'm, I'm the bread. I, I am what you need to consume to live. Says I'm the bread of life. What, uh, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That's a powerful identity statement. That God Himself is our sustaining life. That it isn't anything else we could we could list all kinds of stuff that that tend to be quote unquote life giving you know it's like kind of a churchy catchphrase right now it's like our our small groups it's a life we're life giving small groups small group doesn't give you life your career doesn't give you life money doesn't give you life your accomplishments don't give you life and those things are all fine. But they're not, they're not what we're hungering and thirsting for. So it's like he tells them, you know, you've been, you've been longing for something and I'm the very thing that you've been longing for. So we were all created to know the Lord and this longing that we all have it's really a desire, it's a desire to be who we were truly made to be. And in our world, it's easy to get caught up in, in the different kind of narratives that, that try to tell us who we are and who we're meant to be. And Jesus comes full of grace and full of truth. He's telling us, you, you know what you were really created to do? You're really created to be Holy. And you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness because you long to know God and to be holy. And there's something that is preventing that from happening. And I have come to make that a reality in your life. I've come to bring you not manna. I've come to bring you bread, but essentially I'm bringing you me. I am the bread of life. I am the sustaining force of your life. And so it really goes back to what, what he said a few verses earlier when he said that the work of God is to believe in him who, who sent me. It's, to, it's to, to believe that this is true. So this whole thing really boils down to, am I, am I going to believe that he is the bread of my life? 
Do I believe that he is enough? Do I believe that I really don't, like, I really don't need anything else? I just need him. In order to believe that that, that is true, um, Paul, Paul tells us a lot of brilliant things. And one of, the, one of the, the, the most beautiful, in Ephesians 2 verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, it's the gift of God. So how do we how, how do we like how do we take in the bread of life? Well, we do it by grace through faith. So by by grace, talked a little, a little bit about this last week about how we don't really know what to do with grace because it seems so unfair that we could be these like, you know, like rebellious whatevers and God would say, I love you so much. I'm going to die for you so that we can be together forever. That no matter, no matter what I have done or will do, or there's just, there's nothing we can bring to the table. That's going to be outside of the boundaries of this unearned love of God for us. It it doesn't seem fair. We, we like checks and balances, you know, that's why the legal system makes sense. It's like, I did this, this is the crime, this is the punishment, they even out, you know. At least it's logical, we can control that. Grace we have no control over, so we don't really like it all the time because it feels very unfair that God would shower us with goodness and kindness and compassion and all these things and even, even, even when we don't, quote unquote, deserve it. And that's why it's grace. <laughs> and so by grace, just by the, the fact that you don't earn his love, we're saved through faith, which is us essentially saying, even though that makes no sense to me, I'm going to trust that it's true because you are, I am, and I am not, I am. So by grace through faith is simply saying, even though grace makes no sense to me, I'm going to choose to believe it's true because of who you are, because of the one that's saying it to me. Which means I've not earned it. It is simply the gift of God coming to me. And this is true for you and for me, not only in the first time you come to know Jesus as your like, beautiful, perfect Savior, but this is every day of our lives. By grace, through faith, we're consuming the bread of life. That He is enough. It's a, it's a hard thing for us to, to process sometimes because we have so many other messages coming our way, which is why Jesus over and over again is just beating that same drum over and over and over again because we ha- it has to get through to us that this is what's true, this is what's true, this is what's true. He's given us the scriptures and he's given us community and he's he's given us his spirit within us he's given us all of these things to help us understand that every day we're consuming the bread of life that the temporary manna that we hold on to at night to help us go to sleep so that we are convinced tomorrow's going to be okay he teaches us how we don't need that because he's given us something that's sustaining across everything because he is enough. And that all of the things that we're longing for, 
every human on the planet is longing for righteousness. We're hungry for it. We're thirsty for it. We don't always know what to call it, but that's, that's how he made us. And here he is standing in their midst. And here he is in our midst as well saying, I am the bread of life. I am the one. And I'm here and I'm offering myself to you. You don't have to be hungry and thirsty anymore. And so for us, the application of this, really it has more to do with with just us being in awe of who he is and responding to him being him. The response to this is, do you believe it? Like, Will you consume it by grace through faith? Will you say, I'm choosing in this moment today to believe what Jesus is telling me? And I, that, that in and of itself is satisfying to us. And we are learning to be satisfied more and more and more by Christ alone. You can have the rest of it. And so what a good, what a gift, you know? What a gift to us that Jesus would not worry about the fact that him making these statements would result in him getting beat up or run off a cliff or all the other kind of like wild things that tried to happen to him just because he said some words that they didn't think he should say. But he says, no, I'm going to tell you what the truth is. And it blows my mind that the same God who did all those things, the same God who's in their midst telling them this story, the same God is here with us in fullness. And the same God has come to have residence inside of us as his sons and his daughters made in his image. And so I hope to this I hope this morning I hope you want to drink that in. You know, I hope you want to consume that. By grace, not earning it, but just his love to you, trusting that that is true. That he is enough. And so you might be here, and this might be all completely new to you. You may be coming into, into some realizations about who Jesus is and who you are. Um, I'd love to talk to you about that. There's a lot of us here who would love to talk to you about that. We don't, here at, at Living Hope, we don't do like a, a traditional like altar call time, like, like a lot of us grew up with. We need to know that, that the gospel is, is yours to respond to. If you're hearing this for the first time, we don't want you to leave here with questions. And so whether you come down in a few minutes and talk to one of us or whether you hang around afterwards, it's up to you. But if you have been a Christian for a while and this is just maybe a matter of just like finding true north again and being reminded of who he is, then we're just going to respond in a couple of ways. And if you've been here, been here a bunch, you know what I'm about to say. But don't get all shuffling. Wait on me. We're going to respond in a couple of ways because things like this, they make you want to do certain things. So if this makes you want to sing, then good news, we're going to sing. And it's like power ballad day, so get, get excited. Uh, 
We're going to do some singing for sure. Um, if this leads you to pray, you can pray anywhere in this room that you want to. These, you'll, some people might come pray at the steps. There'll be a few of us on the front row. You might want to, if you want someone to pray with you, you can pray where you are. If you, uh, if, if, if taking communion is a, is a connector point for you, we have two communion stations where you take the bread, you dip it in the juice and you take it yourself. And they're going to say over and over again, we've done this for a long time. A lot of churches do this. They're going to say the blood of Christ poured out for you, the body of Christ broken for you. They're going to say that over and over again, the bread of life come down from heaven for you. It's another way to say it. And so whether singing or praying or receiving communion, you're going to see people moving around the room. That's on purpose. Because this kind of stirs different things. We're going to give you an opportunity to respond in different ways. Um, So I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come. And we're going to sing a little bit. Let's stand together as they come back up. Father... um, God, we, we bow before you um, because, because you, are, you are enough. We bow before you because of who you are. You're the, the Holy One of Israel. You're the, the creator and sustainer of the universe. And you are I Am. And all the things that you have done for us they take on such different, uh, just different meaning when we realize who it is that's doing them. Jesus, for you to be the manna that comes from heaven, like our, our permanent version of that, to come from heaven to us, that we could live forever. I mean, what, why in the world would, would God do that for us? It, it doesn't make sense, but it doesn't have to. To help us this morning to choose to believe it, to make that choice, to by faith believe in the grace that's come to us in Christ, and in the Father, and in the Holy Spirit. And so however that clicks with us in the room, whatever, whatever you have stirred in us through the songs and the scriptures this morning, as we take a few minutes to respond both as individuals and as a collective community. I pray, God, that this would be a time uh, where we are able to respond in spirit and in truth. We love you. We thank you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, our tables are open. You can come whenever you're ready.